Good morning, church. Hey, thank you guys for being here today. What a joy it is every Sunday to worship with you and to raise Jesus' name up as we praise him. We look into the word of God to see what the Spirit will reveal to us as we journey in this life together for his glory, not for ours. Uh, And it's just a great time to be together as the family of God on any given Sunday morning uh, to remind ourselves that we're not in this thing alone. Not only is the Spirit living within us, but also we've got one another for the journey. And so thanks again for joining us. I want to say welcome to our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us and being a part of what Crosspoint is doing this morning. Our hope is, of course, if you're looking for a church home, man, today you could say you found it. We'd love for you to be a part of our Crosspoint family. Uh, All of us are broken people. We know that. And so we've asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of our life. We surrendered our gift set to God. And we said, God, use us in your story how you see fit. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. Uh, And so we invite you to do that with us, to tell that story of hope in the different ways that you find yourself each and every day of your life. Uh, You can check the bulletin out for different ways to get plugged into different ministries that are happening here. Uh, And certainly in our video uh, announcement time, you probably saw some ways maybe you could get plugged in. Uh, We'd love to have you a part of all of that. We are in a uh, series right now called Flip the Script because we want to talk about and reveal the lies that Satan is telling us. The enemy is hard at work and he wants us to believe some things in life that just aren't true. And we want God's truth to be revealed to us so that we can live that joyful life that he has promised us. Uh, If we follow him, we'll have all the things that we need in this life. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1 this morning, but also 1 Thessalonians rather, chapter 5, and I hope that you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. We'll uh, say some things that you might want to write in the margin, some things you might want to circle in those texts that will be important uh, to us as we journey together. Well, uh, as I was getting ready for today, uh, Kevin alluded to that we're going to talk a little bit uh, about happiness that we have in life or don't have and the joy that we should have in Christ Jesus. Uh, But as I was getting ready for this, I looked at a Forbes uh, magazine uh, data collection moment uh, from this year about things that make us unhappy. And so I want to start out by just saying six of those things that they had in their time as they did the research and talking with folks. One of those things is waiting for the future. Unhappy people are sitting around waiting for the future to happen. In other words, they're not out there making life happen. They're not out there a part of life. They're just kind of sitting on their couch uh, waiting on something to happen in their life. Unhappy people spend a lot of time acquiring stuff because that's what we need around us, right? More stuff. Uh, We've got the garage full and we've rented a storage shed, so we need more stuff to add to that, get our money's worth, right? Uh, And so uh, these unhappy people in life spend time acquiring more stuff. Unhappy people uh, tend to avoid people. They just want to stay at home. Uh, There are moments when, uh, if you're like me, you need a veg out day. You need a day where you're just not doing a whole lot, not leaving the house. That's okay. They're talking about folks who just make a decision. I'm not going to go out and be a part of life. I'm just going to stay home and I'm going to avoid people at at all costs. Seeing yourself as a victim can make you unhappy. In other words, you think, man, life is out to get me. Uh, The teacher hates me. The the boss doesn't like me. Uh, My spouse uh, isn't really talking to me right now. Whatever it may be, you just believe uh, that you are the victim in life. And so you kind of live life just like that. Uh, Unhappy people have a lot of pessimism in their life as well. 
Uh, and the more you believe uh, the pessimistic view of life, in other words, that the sky is falling, everything is not good, things are just not going to go very well, uh, it becomes what a psychologist called a self-fulfilling prophecy. In other words, you kind of will that into existence in your life. Uh, also, complaining makes people unhappy in life. And the constant complaining that you may have, maybe you experience that at your house, maybe it's at the workplace uh, with a load of work that you've got, maybe it's with a, a neighbor that you're having a dispute with, maybe it's here at church. You, you're like, man, they always sing this particular song or they don't do what I want to happen at church. And so there's always this complaint module going on in your life. And that constant complaining simply reaffirms the negativism and the unhappiness you have in your life. Some folks were unhappy with the outcome of certain football games this weekend. That's just the way it goes sometimes, and uh, that's all I'll say about that. You know, the, the lies, though, don't have to be true. Here's the problem in our life as we continue to unpack this series is that we tend to believe sometimes those lies. And when we do that in our life, then we empower them to be truth in our life. And the enemy wants us desperately to believe the lies that he is telling each and every one of us. But as we unpack this series, as we go through text and stories, we want to reveal Satan for all he is, but also realize the light that Jesus Christ can be in our life. And the truth that he brings to every single story in our life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, look, Satan will be revealed. That we are smarter than the enemy. For we are familiar with his evil schemes. And so as we begin to realize who the enemy is in our life and what lies he's telling us, then we begin to outsmart him because the Holy Spirit is revealing those things to us. And revealing the truth of Jesus Christ. I've used this the last two weeks, but it's absolutely true. John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus himself reminded us that we are in this spiritual warfare moment. We are doing battle with the enemy. He says, look, the enemy came to still kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and give it to you in the full. You see, the truth of that text is that we are in battle. And we've got to be alert. We've got to be aware of the lies that the enemy tells us and make sure that we are listening to the truth that God reveals to us in our life. And so this morning, we uh, are looking at the lie that you deserve to be happy. Now, that, that's a tough comment to come right out on a Sunday morning and say to a crowd of people. Uh, that maybe that's a lie in your life. And we're going to really unpack the truth of that lie from the enemy's standpoint and the reality of the truth that comes from God's side of that equation. But the truth is, you and I have bought into that lie one too many times that I deserve to be happy. And that idea, that lie, has led to many life decisions on my part and your part. We buy into that and we think, man, if I just had this thing right here or if I had uh, a relationship with this person or I went out and bought this particular thing and it has taken us down some roads that we wished we had never been on before. The more that you live out this lie, though, we find out, the more unhappy that you become. You try to pursue what you believe is happiness in your life and we find out that it's still an arm's length away every time we think that we get there. I mean, you look at story after story in the Bible of people who were good people who God used in his story, just like us, 
who believed that lie. I mean, Eve thought she would be happier when she ate the forbidden fruit. Cain thought he would be happier without his brother around. Esau thought he would be happier if he just had that bowl of stew in his hand. Joseph's brothers thought they would be happier without Joseph and if we sold him into slavery. Noah thought after the flood he would be happier if he got drunk. David thought he would be happier if he slept with a married woman. Solomon thought he would be happier with a thousand wives. Jonah thought he would be unhappy if he went to Nineveh, and so he turned and went the other direction and found out he was even more unhappy where he ended up. The rich young ruler in the New Testament thought he would be happier if I just keep all of my money. Judas thought he would be happier with 30 pieces of silver. Bernie thought he would be happier if he could just spend every night on that porn site. Sammy thought he would be happier if he could just embezzle a little bit of money from the company, just enough to make him comfortable in life. Sarah thought that going into deeper debt in order to furnish the house more appropriately would make her happier. Chrissy thought that sleeping with him would make him love her more, and that would make her happier. And the list goes on and on and on of moments in time where you and I bought into the lie that we deserve to be happy, and it affects many times our life's decisions. And the enemy works really hard at getting us to believe that lie, that if we'll just give up the freedom we have in Christ and pursue what we believe is happiness, so then we'll truly find joy in our life. We'll have all of the happiness that we could possibly want. But when you make your happiness the central point of your life, you realize, if you're like me, that it simply eludes you. It's always an arm length away. You think it's right around the corner and you get there and yet it's not there. It's somewhere else. I'm amazed that after 24 years in ministry, the families over time that have come to me and they've said, you know, I'm going to go to this church over here because your church just isn't making me happy. You're not supplying what I need here. And the problem is, is when you do get to that greener grass over there, guess what? That church is just like our church. It's got people like me and you in it. <laughs> and they find out they're still not happy. The church has got folks in it. So, Tim, what are you saying to me this morning? That, that God doesn't want me to be happy? Well, I want to juxtapose two ideas this morning, kind of compare and contrast what the world believes will bring happiness, but what God truly tells us will bring us joy and happiness in life. Because I think somehow along the way, we we end up morphing what we believe is going to bring us happiness with the idea that God wants me to be happy. And so we get focused on this one thing that we think is going to get us happiness, and we think God wants me to be happy, so God wants me to have this. And we rationalize. We begin to play that out in our life. Understand that God is an absolutely loving father who wants his children to have joy in their life. He wants them to be happy. Here is the problem. We buy into the lie of what happiness is because we listen to culture. And we listen to the script that the enemy gives us. And today we want to talk about flipping that script and understanding the type of joy and happiness 
that God wants to give us in our life. And so we're going to take a look at some cultural happiness versus what biblical happiness truly is. Because the enemy turns around and gives us a script. And he says right off the bat, he said, look, if you want to be happy, then you need to pursue pleasure. Pursuing pleasure in your life, that's what's going to make you happiest. That's what's going to bring you some joy in your life. Someone who was the smartest man to ever live, he wrote a book that talks specifically about this idea. The book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote, and he, he had everything at his fingertips, anything that he wanted in life. But throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, guess what? You pursue money and it's futile. You go after a physical relationship and it's empty. You run after power and prestige and authority and guess what? It is futility. The word that he uses all through the book of Ecclesiastes is the idea of meaningless. That's how we translate it in our English versions. But it's the Hebrew word hebel. And hebel can be translated vapor, mist. And Solomon says, You'll get there and you believe this thing, whatever that is in your life, is going to make you happy and you reach out for it and it's like trying to grasp the wind. It just isn't there. But God turns that script around and he says, I want to tell you some truth in your life. If you truly want to have joy, if you want to be happy, then you need to pursue holiness. You need to listen to what I'm trying to tell you and how I'm asking you to live your life. Now, you and I have grown up in church and we know people just like this who don't believe that holiness and happiness can live in the same room. (laughs) They've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, but they're going to be upset about it. They're going to be unhappy about it. They're going to walk around with a frown on their face because it's just not possible to be happy if you're following God. You know people like that. I do too. But God tells us that's absolutely wrong. If you want true joy in your life, if you want real happiness, following me is going to give that to you. The psalmist says this in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. He says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. Meditating on it day and night, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. Do you hear what the writer said there? For those folks who lean into God, for those folks who meditate on his word, for those folks who, who make a decision consciously to ignore the script of the enemy and lean into the script of God, that they prosper in all that they do. God says, if you decide to go out on your own and find happiness, you're going to find that it will elude you. But if you make a decision to follow me truly, you're going to get everything else. Wow, what a concept. You see, God defines happiness differently than culture defines happiness. You take a look at the the Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is doing the preaching, and he opens up that sermon by saying, blessed or happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who thirst after righteousness. Happy are those who are peace lovers. Happy are those who are humble. Happy are those who are merciful. And over and over, Jesus reminds us, if you want joy in your life, this is the type of life 
that God's calling you to live. You see, real happiness, true joy, comes from being obedient to the lifestyle that God's called us to. But the enemy takes that script and he says, no, no, happiness is really based on your circumstances. The things that are around you make all the difference whether you've got joy and happiness in your life. That the things that we can visibly see and interact with, I mean, you look at any commercial, any given channel, any given time of day, And it's going to show you in 30 seconds the things that you don't have in life that you can't really live without. Now, I will admit, when that Sonic commercial comes on, I want to go down and get a milkshake. That's just the way it is. But those commercials reveal to us, you'd be happy if you had this type of car or this type of mortgage or this cologne or perfume. And the list goes on and on and on. The enemy hands you that if-only script. If only I had a bigger house, I'd be happy. If only I had that car, I'd be happy. If only my spouse would listen to me, I would be happy. If only my kids made better grades in school. If only the church I attend would do X, Y, and Z. And the enemy hands us that script, and too many times we take the script, and we believe that following that, is going to bring us happiness. I'm absolutely amazed at the American culture that we live in. We have a very small percentage of the world's population that lives in our country, but most of the resources and money in the world. Yet despite all of that, a Gallup poll this year categorized all the different countries and how happy those countries were. We rank number 13. There are 12 other countries that are happier than we are we we just can't seem to find happiness but then God takes that script and he reminds us no that's not the script you need to follow he says if you want true joy and happiness in your life then it's got to be based on Jesus Christ it must be after Jesus that you follow and it's based upon him his life and then being with other people who have those same goals in mind as you do. We've read this text before, but Paul mentions in Philippians chapter 4, 11 and 12. Paul says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. You realize that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi from a dark, wet prison cell. It's not about his circumstances. It's because he knows his joy and happiness comes from being in Christ. That's where he finds his excitement in life, not not based upon what's going on around him. In that same book, Philippians 4.4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It's crazy. How Jesus Christ can change your life. Happiness is not based upon your bank account, your body shape, the doctor's diagnosis. Happiness is based on Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, the Greek word for happy or blessed is used about 50 different times. And the Scottish theologian William Barclay says this about it. 
He says, happiness describes that joy which has its secret within itself. That joy which is serene, untouchable, and self-contained. That joy which is completely independent of all the chances and changes of life. In other words, when you have the joy of God in your life, there is absolutely nothing that can take that away from you. Nothing. Jesus even said this to his disciples in John chapter 16. He said, you are going to rejoice in the life that you have in me, and nobody will be able to take that away from you. No circumstance, no personality, no one. But the world takes that script and they turn it around and they say, no, no, joy and happiness in your life should be fueled by comparisons. It's got to be the, the best in the room and that's your job is to be the best in the room. The comparisons that we have in life are what fuel sometimes we think our happiness. In week number one, we talked about comparisons with the social media we talked about the different types of pictures and things that po- people post in social media, and it's a snapshot of their life, a hot moment, a great moment, a beautiful moment, the stock family there with their whole, their whole group, and they're looking really nice. And you're looking at that picture, and you think, man, I've got to get out of the house more. I'm just not really doing well in life. I've got to look more like this. That comparison thing happens to us, and we end up, discouraged and down because even though we're maybe meeting some of that expectation from the world it's just never quite enough we hear story like this way too often in our culture in 2015 ESPN did a story on Maddie Maddie was a a great high school kid she ended up running track and playing soccer in high school. All of the pictures and videos on her social media showed a a fun person, someone who was excited about life, someone that was always fun to be around. All of her friends and family said just that. She got a scholarship to run track at the University of Pennsylvania. So she, she goes that freshman year and commits suicide because the comparisons were just too much. You see, when we pursue the script that the world gives us, it leads us down a path we just don't want to go. And so God reminds us then in our life that joy and happiness is really fueled by gratitude. It's this idea that we want to live a life in gratitude to what God has done for us. And under serious persecution of the church, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning verse 16. And Paul says, always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now understand, Paul says here, be thankful in all circumstances, not because of all circumstances. There are going to be moments in our life when we're going to lose that job or our child is going to make a poor decision in life or maybe we lose to death a family member or a close friend and we're going to be sad in those moments. We're going to be down in those moments. That's understandable and it's okay. But Paul says you don't give thanks for those moments, but you're thankful in the moments. Why? Because you're found in Jesus Christ. And he's got the script. He's got the storyline. He is enriching our life in so many different and meaningful ways. Our challenge as followers of Christ is to be joyful 
in every aspect of our life. I don't know about you, but I like wearing a grin on my face sometimes, especially I'm thinking back to my Walmart days, and people would literally stop me and say, what's going on? Did you play a trick on somebody? I want to be a part of that. And I'd say, no, just happy about being found in Christ. See, we, we've got to show the world what true joy is all about. They're looking for happiness, and they're finding it in all the wrong places. And we want to reveal as followers of Christ, we should be the happiest people in the world. We should be filled with joy. We should want to experience the peace that passes all understanding that only Christ can reveal to us. But the world takes that script and they say, no, no. Happiness and joy is really when you focus on number one. When you focus on yourself, when you make sure you're at the front of the line, when you're getting everything that's coming to you, that's when you're going to be most happy in life. Our culture exalts the individual. We live in an age of entitlement where I've got some things coming to me and I want them right now. And we'll step on anybody in order to get there, to achieve that. We believe that we deserve to be happy. We've got rights and I'm going to have them right now. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of heroes and they list all the different folks who are involved in the story of God who exhibited incredible faith in their walk. And about midway through the chapter, chapter 11, Hebrews, it begins to talk about Moses. Now, Moses was a guy who was reluctant as he followed God or was called into service by God, but he started out as an Israelite baby who was found in a basket and adopted into the house of Pharaoh. Now, understand in Moses' day, Pharaoh was the most powerful, richest man on the planet. He had everything. Moses grew up in that type of household. He didn't have to be that Israelite. He was in the house of Pharaoh. He had all the best food, best clothing. All the girls wanted to go out with him. He had all the ESPN channels. I mean, just the list goes on. He had it all. Best chariot, best horses, life of the party. But then he realized, you know, this is not where I belong. This isn't real happiness because I'm an Israelite. I belong to God. And he ran away until he found himself some 40 years later and God called him into service and eventually he came into that service and was everything that God had created him to be. He found his happiness in God. And God reminds us, look, the truth is you're going to be joyful in life, you're going to be happy in life when you focus on others. When you make a decision to serve other people, that's when you're going to be happiest in life, when we focus on others. Now, we've got a lot of different ministries around here that serve lots of different people. But recently, our men's ministry, the Point Men, they went over here to Mission Arlington and they worked on a Saturday for about three or four hours. And they were serving the homeless of our community. Now, those are folks that... That's a population that can never pay you back. They'll, and sometimes we get in a moment where we, maybe within ourselves, maybe not out loud, but we ask ourselves, well, what's in it for me? Well, what do I get out of this? But God says when you focus on other people, that's when you're going to find true happiness. There's a psychologist by the name of Martin Seligman. He wrote a book called Authentic 
happiness. And he answered, wanted to answer the question and answer the question, what makes human beings happy? And so as a psychologist, he kind of did this study, if you will. And what he discovered was interesting because I love studies like this because these folks use a lot of money and a lot of time to find out what the Bible's already told us. You like that? I love that. It's like, man, you could have saved yourself a lot of time if you just read this. It's going to tell you how to be happy. It's going to tell you how to live. So Martin does all of this work, and uh, he finds out that all of us have this kind of hole in our life that we're trying to fill up. And so some of us run after fame, some of us run after money, some of us run after uh, sex, some of us run after relationships, and the list goes on and on. But we want more and more of whatever that thing is that we think will bring us happiness in life. And he said that once we get there, what's interesting is it's always still an arm length away. It's just never enough. We think, man, if I just got that thing right there, and then we get up there to that moment, and what we really want now is actually just beyond the fence. And so we begin to move in that direction. And so he wanted to take that study a little bit further. He was a a professor, and he took half of his students. He said, I want half of you to go out and do something this week that's going to bring you happiness. One thing, it might be maybe you went to Dairy Queen and had an ice cream binge. I don't know. It could be any number of things like that. Something that you think in your life will bring you happiness. And the other half, I want you guys to go out and do something altruistic. In other words, absolutely serving other people may not benefit you in any way. Something for others. And at the end, they all reported back and he had some interesting conclusions. He said the lasting feel-good of the altruistic action completely overtook everything else. In other words, those folks who went out and and binged on ice cream one night, it was great in the moment. But a few hours later, the feeling was gone. It wasn't important. Those folks who went out and focused on other people, who served other people, that feeling lasted quite a long time. Those folks who were in the serving others category were less depressed, they were less lonely. They felt a greater sense of community. They were successful, felt successful. They were everything else that the first group was not. Martin discovered what the Bible's already told us. And it reminds us about Jesus' own life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, he says, look, I I came not to be served, but to serve. And you and I have signed up for, we've agreed to follow Jesus Christ, to imitate him in every way. And so we're also called to serve those around us. You want, you want happiness in your life? You want joy in your life? The Bible's told us how we can gain that. But we ignore it way too many times. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 39, this verse, If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you're going to find it. He says, stop pursuing what you think will bring you happiness. And let the creator tell you what will bring you happiness. Jesus is trying to let us know how precious life is and how much 
He desires for us to have joy and happiness in our life. If nothing else lined up, wouldn't it just be enough that the Son of God died for you and you have salvation? Wouldn't that be awesome to live in that thought for a moment? To think, my God loves me enough to send his son to die on the cross. That there is an empty tomb and he now sits at the right hand of God. And because of that, I have all the joy I need in life. And he wants all of that for you. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back to the stage at this time. Our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. Does God want you to have joy in your life? Does he want you to be happy? Absolutely. He's got a game plan for you and me. We've just got to make a decision that we are going to follow the blueprint that he has for each one of us to gain that joy in our life, to stop listening to the lies of the enemy, to stop reading the if-only script, and to lead a life that looks like Jesus Christ. That's our call this morning. As we sing this song, my prayer is if there's something going on in your life that you just haven't let go of yet, something that's making you unhappy. I would hope that you would go speak to one of our shepherds and let them pray over you, lay hands on you, pray for you, that you can move forward in your journey with Jesus Christ, that you could find true happiness by following him. Let's stand together and sing.